0: College is a bubble. We're here to pop it. The Albertus Magnus Institute is reinventing the academy, offering education that's as free as it is free. Welcome to the Magnus Podcast. With your help, we are liberating the liberal arts. Now, your hosts, John Johnson and Larissa Bianco.
1: Welcome back to the Magnus Podcast. Larissa Bianco here. Happy fourth day of Christmas. I hope you all had a very wonderful day with your friends and your family. This is a very exciting podcast to release today as it is the 20th and final episode of Season 3. This past season was a joy to record. We talked about music and monarchy, Plato, Socrates, freeing minds, and humanizing humans. So please go back and listen if you haven't already. Tell your friends about us. And thank you to those of you who have been with us this entire season. Before I turn it over to John for our final conversation of the season, I just want to remind you all that we are at the very end of our annual fundraiser, the great campaign. You've probably heard us use the expression education as free as it is freeing. And though our courses are free to our fellows, they are not free to run. So any amount you can give to support our fellowship will go towards more courses in the coming year. If you've already donated, thank you so much for your support. If you're able to give, magnusinstitute.org slash give. Thank you for supporting. Thank you for listening. Thank you for coming back week after week. Happy New Year to you all.
2: Welcome back to the Magnus Podcast. I'm John Johnson. Larissa is not here right now, but guess who is here? Professor Stephen Courtright, who just a few short years ago co-founded the Albertus Magnus Institute with me. Hello, Professor Courtright. Hello, John. It's an honor to have you here, and I wanted to take this time at the end of the year. We're wrapping up our great campaign. We're preparing to announce something new and exciting, which we'll have a little preview for by the end of this episode. But uh, you are... Less known than you should be. It's always my opinion, been my opinion. And walk us through your where you started uh, in your journey in liberal education and where you are now. I realize that's a huge question, but just paint a little picture for us if you could
0: well, i I started out as a a student, high school student, high school grad who, like most high school graduates today, was transfixed by the idea of obtaining credentials. And uh, as it happened, a high school teacher of mine, a graduate of St. Mary's College named George Tyler, took me down to visit the college in the spring of 1967. Part of that experience, I spent almost a week on campus. I attended what were then integrated curriculum courses? And in the course of that week, there came a day when in Agony Lounge at St. Mary's College of Health, I was introduced to a, a seminar, a program seminar, involving most of the tutors then present in the program, a number of students and its founder, Brother Sixtus Robert Smith. And this particular conversation had to do with Kant. Con- it's a conversation on a section from The Critique of Pure Reason. And as I sat there listening to the conversation develop, it came to me very, very strongly. You have to be able to do this. You have to be able to face the text that challenges everything you believe in and work with it, work through it, work out of it, some notion of the truth. And be able to defend that, make it come to a bunch of people who are at least as intelligent as you. That turned me from a seeker of credentials to a seeker of liberal education. I and
2: there's them. a big difference. There's, there's a big, there's a big difference. One mm-hmm. cannot be both. It, yeah. It's fair to say. Right.
0: I think you could, you could paraphrase the gospel: "You cannot serve two masters." One cannot love education and that.
2: Well said. Um, yeah. And so, so you 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 were a student at St. Mary's College.
0: I was a student at St. Mary's College uh, in the fall of 1970.
2: And then you went off to study graduate in graduate school at Notre Dame.
0: At Notre Dame, yes. Under Ralph McInerney Happy Memory and, and Stephen Kirsch who still working.
2: Wow. And then why did you return to the nest? Uh, you've been teaching for, how, ma- how many years have you been teaching at the college?
0: Uh, I started in 1977. Wow. So uh, why I came back to the nest was I never wanted to leave it. I spent the night before graduation. I don't believe in photographs. I don't take photographs. I don't take videotape. I take memories. and I spent the night before graduation wandering around the campus trying to remember very, very clearly, without any doubt. The time I spent at St. Mary's is the most important and intellectually stimulating time in my life. Much, much, much more important than graduate school, which is all about credentials. So I never wanted to do anything except come back.
2: I can relate. And you came back and you taught for... You've been teaching for almost 50 years, I suppose.
0: Forty. This is the 46th year.
2: Wow. And just trace for us, you know, I won't say the rise, decline, and fall, but trace for us. I know I was a student of yours in the early 2000s, and it was a fantastic place to study. We had... It was sort of the heyday, you know, as far as I can tell, but you... Father Owen Carroll, Patrick Downey, Wayne Harder, uh, Brother Donald Mancier, God rest his soul, was still teaching. Uh, Many, uh, many very prayerful and and educative Christian brothers. And when I graduated, it was a place I very much recommended people go uh, in spite of everything else around that beautifully... Uh, I would, I wouldn't say insulated, but it was definitely an enclave. There was a, there was something beautiful happening and something kind of chaotic happening on the outskirts, but I could very much recommend students go. Many of them did, you know, some of them, some of them are religious now. Some of them are academics now. And then there's, there's us, right. But, uh, at a certain point I stopped recommending students go. And that is a very heartbreaking, sad thing. I'll point them to TAC. I'll point them to Wyoming Catholic. In very rare cases, I might say go to St. Mary's if you can put yourself at the feet of Stephen Courtright, but you're very much, you know, one of the few last men standing. And that's in some ways tragic and in some ways beautiful.
0: Well, I would say first thing to know about what happened with St. Mary's College is that we were always safer in our vocation as a liberal arts institution when we were poor and obscure. As soon as the college began to make a name for itself on the regional scene, it started to attract people who were not of, how shall I put it, they were not of the mission. They saw the college as a platform for a mission they brought with them from elsewhere. So while the college was poor and obscure, it was more or less safe from the winds of doctrine that you know, in, in your day, we're blowing fifty, fifty brisk, and have been blowing a lot more brisk since. So that's one thing. The college's success, in a certain respect, was the foundation of its the beginning of its decline. That's victory, funny.
2: victory has defeated us. Op- yeah, op- like opulence has always been the great enemy of the church and of the academy. We're. Right. We do much better when we're being martyred and poor, and We do much better when our notion of abundance is not
0: being like some other institution, but having to have the material, the opportunity to do the job. And so and that, staying or being in that position is a matter of abject reliance on providence.
2: Well said. And so, in the course of this 50 year period that you've watched St. Mary's go its way, um, there have been, uh, well, in the best possible way, we can say, separatist movements, uh, notably Thomas Aquinas College that leaves the mothership and goes down and founds TAC. And I think every president of TAC until most recently, this current president. Is has been a graduate of Saint Mary's College,
0: right? A graduate either of the integral curriculum or the philosophy.
2: That's right, and so and so now the 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 uh, the separatists. And and I say that with all with all affinity and respect. Better
0: analogy, John. The better analogy is Corinth and her colony. There we go. Yeah, city-state of Corinth sent out colonies who rapidly eclipsed their mothership.
2: That's right. So St. Mary's has been rapidly eclipsed. Thanks be to God. And there's beautiful things. Uh there's beautiful things happening elsewhere. But this is also a cautionary tale and advice to the opulence that awaits these places. Um, I think some of them, uh, Kough Wyoming Catholic, wish that the opulence were awaiting them more, more than others, like Thomas Aquinas College, who 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 might be on, you know, on the brink of it or currently enjoying it. But it's definitely um, it's cautionary to say the least, right?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. It's not, I mean, it's not an easy discipline to accept as you know. And as I know, working with AMI, we're on the cusp of dissolution
2: every week. That's true, which is great. I, 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 just, I just sent out a, a fundraising email that turned into this very introspective blog. I don't know if you read it. I did, but I, did. I, 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 I I, praised, I praised the, the beauty of the freedom that comes with poverty and, and dependence. And I think it's a beautiful way to not only purify our intentions as an institute, but actually do something good. Uh, and where two or three are gathered, in this case, we have a thousand. And it's a beautiful thing. We don't know where our next meal is going to come from. But if it comes, that's great. And if it doesn't, that's okay, too. I think that's a very liberal attitude to have toward liberal education as far as the institutional components go.
0: Right, it's liberal in the exact sense. It frees you from being seduced into attention to things that are really peripheral. And it keeps you focused on the main thing. So, well yeah, said. Working well for us. Um,
2: it is. And and so um speaking of speaking of these Corinthian colonies, yes. AMI sort of has this mission and I think mandate, directive, not only from students, but especially from faculty, to become a the the analogy I constantly use is a life raft for Titanics like St. Mary's. And I, I can say that you might not be able to contractually, then that's fine. But at least For a faculty who's looking for uh, a refuge to sort of teach a cultivated body of students, at least an eager body of students who are after something that is completely missionally aligned with the cloth from which they are cut, AMI is serving as that life raft. Um, How do you see that going so far? Let's just do uh, a three-year in review. I mean, it's, it's all gone by in the blink of an eye. But as you reflect on the work that AMI has done in the past three years since we launched. What comes to mind?
0: What comes especially to mind, it seems to me, is that each of our courses, each of the courses that have actually been have had as their main thrust, getting the fellows who are involved in it to read worthy works, think about them carefully, and express what they see such a way as to make it available to their colleagues. That's the whole thing of liberal education. The whole process of liberal education consists in thinking through a question which is well-presented and worth your time, trying to make what you think about it common to a number of other critical thinkers who are joining you in this act of exploration. This is the notion which our friends at TAC would partially, partially reject. This is the notion that the seminar experience, the experience of all out, all together, looking for meaning and truth in a text that delivers what it expects. Expects you to work very hard at it, and it works very hard to deliver what it expects from you. Do that is Principal educational activity.
2: The activity. Why? Why is it um, that places like St. Mary's College, at her worst, don't recognize the practical value of its own mission? Even Thomas Aquinas College. Um, I, you know, I'm always amazed. I, I work in technology. That's that's my day job, and you know, it's a small business, but we're, we're doing okay. 70 employees, doing great, and. I love hiring interns out of Thomas Aquinas College. I love hiring staff who uh, who graduated from the Integral program. I I I've I've got one. She's she's amazing. Uh, Camila if you're listening, and you're probably not cuz you're probably selling things for Patmos, but it's it's so beautiful when you have somebody it's a very it's a very anomalous thing these days in the corporate world especially. When you have people who can think their way out of a wet paper bag, they can learn anything. You can, you can, you can train them to do anything and they love it. And they're all, they're consistently the best performers, you know, in in at least my limited perspective in, in this company. And yet we're somehow always tagged with the impractical, useless persona, which is very strange to me. Why doesn't St. Mary's college own its own mission and realize the lucrative return on that rather than trying to become, um, you know, a woke you light. It's like if you can't just be the best woke you, you know, you're, ne- you're never going to be Harvard. You're never going to be that good at being terrible. So why not be good at being good instead of trying to be last place good at being terrible? Does the question make sense? Yeah, I don't get it.
0: Sense. I would say that here's one way to answer your question. The only way to take advantage of the liberty of being poor and obscure is to accept being poor and obscure. In other words, I'm a teacher. I've spent a lot of time, lavished a lot of attention on people like Camilla Patterson, whose senior essay I directed with great joy. and I haven't spent a lot of time building a reputation. I haven't spent a lot of time watching my very own ideas out into the ethos. I've spent a great deal of time aiding students to tackle great books. It's time consuming. It's difficult. I'm one of the few people who comes to SMC five days a week. I arrive at 6 a.m. and I normally leave between 7 and 9. The time I'm here is spent with students, class, in office, in prospective, that is working through how to present this that. Um, it eats a great deal of time and it means that you're not going to ascend in the academic part. You're going to spend 46 years teaching. As opposed to spending forty-six years working your way up,
2: Salad. and you're going to you're going to sow you're going to sow what you might not necessarily reap, and you know that your yeah. treasure is in heaven. Yeah, yeah.
0: There's a Wesleyan saying which I absolutely adore. and it's this: you have to teach as if on the great day of the Lord, only your student will be allowed to speak. Wow, that's and
2: you're
0: so jump about two steps.
2: Pray for us, and you're, 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 you've operated your entire life in that way, hiding, hiding yourself.
0: I, mean, I was following the example of the Christian Brothers and others who taught me, Father Owen Carroll, Frank Ellis. I was following their example until, I think it was 1992. I was in a particularly contentious meeting between uh, members of the faculty of SMC, members of the administration, and a thing called the New Century Committee. Um, And one of my colleagues, a friend, who shall go nameless, finally sort of put a fist down on the table and said, what is all this Lasalian business Constantly hearing about Lasallianism, Salient. What is Lasalia? Brother Gary and Gary York, out to sea, happy, enough, was sitting across from her at the table, leaned over, took her eye, and said, Really want to know what lasallianism means? And he told her. Salientism means teaching in the view that on the great day of the Lord. No one but students will be able. to be.
2: I pray that the Christian brothers will take that statement and put it on their vocational recruiting material, because right. it, you know that, that entire order is sort of in sad decline as well.
0: Well, if you want to attract people with a to a tryout heroic virtue, that's the sort of slogan.
2: That's right. Do you feel like it's possible that it will come full circle, and institutions like yours will one day again be blessed with extreme poverty and obscurity for their own good?
0: Well, I think that, in view of the fact that the victory is won, that the issue is not that it would be faithless and silly not to hope. That indeed things will come full circle. It's uh, unexpectedly. Amen. It would be silly not to hope that our present tribulation will be ended by a stranger who will quietly and quickly settle way.
2: Amen. And let's hope he's not that much of a stranger.
0: Uh, you know the story of uh dars getting a glimpse into his own soul. Yes. Turned his hair white. We are all strangers, but fortunately we're a stranger to a person whose mercy is on him.
2: That's well said. And I and I think I think St. John Vianney it's all it always surprised me reading True uh, Truchot's biography of him, which is just beautiful. It's so beautiful. But probably the most pious man living on earth at the time maybe in a long time and uh there on one hand i think somebody had some vision that said if if there were just three priests in the world as holy as saint john vianney the the kingdom of satan would just come toppling down instantly and on the other hand when he when the the curie finds out that he's going to die he becomes terrified and weeps and They say, "Why are you weeping? You're going to God," and he says, "I wish I had just a little bit more time to weep for my sins." Uh, so there, hope always. It, hope is a mean condition, right? And um, it's it's between presumption and despair. Fear of that's fear of the Lord, right? Amen. Amen. So um, I want to talk to you about AMI and where we go from here. It's true. We don't know where our next meal is coming. Uh, I'm reminded to ask all of our listeners to donate your hard-earned money at magnusinstitute.org slash give. But we've got a lot of work to do and we've got a lot of demand. I think one of the things that is most requested, and we'll just sort of talk as friends here about this predicament that we're in. We have this very flashy faculty you know, and, and they're doing great work. Um, that, that is not in any way meant to be Pejorative. It's in fact what has uh, brought the Institute to where it is. People sign up because they want to take a class with Anthony Esselin, which is great. Um, But these are a lot of literary classes that we kind of have to offer because they're popular at the expense of the core curriculum. And so the biggest complaint we get, besides why aren't you charging for this? The biggest complaint we get by far is when can I have a deeper, more structured access to the core curriculum? And so we met as a board. Uh, it was beautiful, uh, great, great meeting in person, you know, I had, uh, David Arias and you and Brian there, and we've sort of charted a course for launching something that we believe will address that need. And that is a cohort model that will be in addition to our existing offerings within the fellowship. Um, tell us what you see, uh, give us the elevator pitch, because I know you were a principal architect of this model. But tell us what the cohort model is.
0: So uh, the cohort model is an attempt to do online something that, in my heart of hearts, I don't believe can be done all that well on, but I'm willing to try this way. The idea of a cohort model is three years, one course each term, four terms per year, over three years, directed by two senior fellows. The a cohort model is a group of students will start out together in the first year, which will be devoted largely to trivial pursuits. That is to say, the pursuits of the arts of language. We'll go on to a second year, which will be devoted largely to quadrivial pursuits, that is, the pursuits of the arts of measurement and mathematics. And then in a third year, devoted to the art, in quotation the art and science of philosophy. Along the way, the same two senior fellows will alternate in presenting the course after a first or introductory course in which will read epic poetry in which the two senior fellows will direct students, help them to work out how it is one approaches a great text and makes one views of it accessible to everyone. We'll work through that, then we'll go into linguistic works, then into mathematical and scientific work, and finally into philosophy. The two senior fellows, alternate through those uh, presentations. Each year, there will be a, an opportunity or probably a weekend uh, in-person Budomfas seminar on a work that will be presented for approval by the student, and which uh, will be led in person at some location where all or nearly all of a given cohort can assemble over a week. At the end of the whole, there'll be a set of capstone possibilities. Largely devoted to theology, which will permit students to take the philosophical and liberal liberal artist artistry philosophic and liberal artistry they've accumulated and put it to work in the exposition and discussion of a flatly theological. So that's the idea. The idea is a three-year journey with people who will become your friends, and your benefactor in conversation from the beginnings of things, the beginnings of reading, and discussion, deck, through to the close analysis, we hope very fruitful analysis, of significant philosophical and theological. How's that, that, is,
2: that is quite a beautiful idea and a beautiful reduction. You, you, you are a master of the art of reduxio uh distillation and yeah, thank and duccio you has
0: a second meaning that you, de- that you mustn't forget so one of the works we may read is the reduction of the theology by saint bonavent where "reduccio" I mean, does not mean boiled down. duccio means lead back to the sword.
2: oh to uh duce to lead yes i see
0: re ducere.
2: Ducere. ducere and that's a double meaning that's in latin yeah. Or is it oh that's, that's totally beautiful. beautiful? That's beautiful. Oh, I didn't know that. See, you're consummate teacher. So, and this is a great idea. I, I know it's a demanded thing that we have, uh, and it will be localized to the extent possible and it will be uh guided by the same faculty throughout the three years. And I presume you would I, I presume you would be one of them.
0: I expect to be. Uh, although at seventy-one, I don't make long-term commitments, <laughs> <laughs> or at least I don't make them like uh, so. Yeah, I would expect to be. and I would expect to be paired with someone else. And We would expect—I would expect that we too will have to spend some time working out how we're going to conduct these matters and working out in the trenches, so I'll best to make things go.
2: Okay, great. So if you're a AMI senior fellow listening to this, that's your invitation. Uh I, I would love to tap David Arios or Joseph Hatrip for something like this. I think it'd be great. Uh, but we we intend to launch this summer with at least one cohort. And we think we need 24 fellows at a minimum to launch. And so there is a commitment, there's a three-year commitment. Promise it's worth it. We do have to charge for this to make it work. Is that is that your assessment? I don't like charging for things, but I think we have to so charge. That's my for
0: assessment it. that in this case, part of the commitment is to pay the, pay the entry. Not, I would like to argue that we're not charging tuition. What we're doing is asking people to make possible material offering of this experience from which they will benefit all together. So that's that's the idea. It's sort of like, think about it as um, Great America. A single admission fee, they can ride any ride. Yeah. Great America. It's the way incidentally that things were at SMC when I was doing it. One paid full tuition. He could take as many classes and the view and the supervising professors thought so. The That's idea was not that you were paying for a commodity. The idea was that you were joining an effort. You made two contributions to that effort: you made a material support supported material, and you made your own intellectual company. And you went through experience. So I think
2: and e- either way, you have skin in the game. Skin, and soul. Way, in, the game. skin in the
0: game.
2: That's right. Uh, And and this is, this is beautiful. And we are working out exactly how much it needs to cost. I think that will uh, be predicated in some ways by the interest that we receive uh, to the extent that there's a line out the door, we might be able to make it even more affordable, but our, our goal is to make it affordable for just about anybody and provide religious with a free path, obviously, and provide need-based scholarship opportunities. So. Cost should not be a limiting factor for anybody who's interested in joining this cohort program. And then uh, I think we have to also say that the fellowship will remain free and always will be. So we will continue to offer free courses in the fellowship, consistent with the pace that we've been offering them, and hopefully more depending on the generosity of our benefactors and the success of this annual campaign.
0: And one can hope, and I do hope. But over time, there'll be a kind of cross-fertilization between the cohort program and the fellows program so that our fellows offering uh, independent courses over time will be able to take positions and make uh, and attempt things that they might not otherwise be able to do.
2: That's right. And so the time commitment for the cohort program that we are envisioning is two courses per week uh, over an eight-week period. So 16 courses, 16 classes within a course, evening, online, interactive, of course, culminated by in-person experiences annually. Right. That's exciting. And I think our fellows would really respond well to it. I think our faculty and many of them would be thirsty for something like this. And so, uh, MagnusInstitute.org will be announcing this, hopefully very close to the beginning of the year, but you heard it here first, and then we will be officially kicking the program off, assuming you are as in as we think you're in, uh, that'll be kicking off this summer. Sound like a plan?
0: With respect to costs, let's make clear that uh, the guiding principle here will be just the principle we spoke about at the beginning, namely the principle of gospel about we will not ask for anything more than is strictly necessary to make the work go.
2: That's true. You don't make a dime from this, Courtright. I don't make a dime from this. It's really a labor of love. I'm happy and free in saying that. And I don't say that to toot my own horn because I'm not a particularly generous, generous person. But this is really something worth giving to. And so from my heart, I am thankful for all that you've given, not only in your whole life's work of teaching, teaching me, teaching thousands of others, but for what you've given to this crazy idea called the Albertus Magnus Institute. It really could not be done without you at all. That's in no way hyperbolic to say. And so, so thank you for all that you've given.
0: Well, let's hope that we can, Put it on a basis that would permit me to say in not a full When God decides that.
2: And may it not be too soon.
0: May it be as soon as is appropriate.
2: As soon as is appropriate. That's right. God bless you and your family, Professor Courtright. Thank you. Sure. On behalf of all of us at AMI, if you hear this before Christmas, I don't know when Luris is going to release it, but it'll definitely be before Epiphany. So Merry Christmas to you and yours. I just We just got a nice donation uh, that's going to help us get uh, almost close to where we need to be for the great campaign of $100,000. Uh, Eric, if you're listening, thank you so much for that donation. It's very generous. Michael, thank you. Uh, many, many others that I can list, but be assured that you are known. And I think we are about, as right now, and granted, we've got another week in the campaign, maybe eight days, nine days from the time of this recording. We've got a, about another 20 grand to go. So please be generous if you can. I promise you it's going to good good work and a good purpose. And hopefully it will bear good fruit, God willing, but we'll know on the other side. So. Professor Courtright, this has been a pleasure. MagnusInstitute.org for more. Thank you for being a part of all we do at AMI and the Fellowship. Merry Christmas.
0: The Magnus Podcast is a production of the Albertus Magnus Institute, Incorporated. To learn more, way more, by becoming a fellow today, visit MagnusInstitute.org. Copyright 2023, Albertus Magnus Institute Incorporated. All rights reserved.